Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, I'm Martin Bayfield and this is the Rugby Tonight podcast. This week, international referee Wayne Barnes, presenter Matt Johnson and the Great Britain wheelchair rugby team joined us in the studio. Barnsley, not a, not a boo, not a hiss, not a jeer at all. Just out and out round of applause. That probably doesn't happen very often, does it? No, not in a workplace and definitely not at home base. But uh, great to be here again. Uh, thanks for having me. I mean, absolutely fantastic having you here. Now, you, you're a very educated man, clearly. Uh, legally trained, um, bright. Why a referee? Well, it's probably the two most hated jobs in the world, isn't it? A lawyer and a referee, you know. I become, Could have been a banker. Well, yeah, or a parking warden on the weekend. Uh, <laughs> but it was one of those things, a bit of an injury as a, as a, as a lad playing. Um, carried on playing at university, but started refereeing there as well. Um, and then it got to the point where I was asked, you know, if you're going to do this properly, you're going to have to give up playing. Spoke to a lot of my teammates and said, what do you think about me giving up playing? And they all immediately say, yeah, that's a great idea. So that probably talks <laughs> a lot about my pre- uh, playing prowess. But um, look, and what an adventure since. It's been great to be part of. And uh, I've, I've achieved things which I never dreamt of achieving, but also would never have got near playing. You know, it wasn't of the calibre of uh, you three players here. <laughs> They're not arguing. Really. Look, what, what about the... Um... The characteristics for a referee, in, in the time that you've been a referee, what have you learnt as maybe the most important skill that you need? A willing to learn. I think every week we sit down, and um, Ben came in with us uh, last week, just to see the scrutiny that we put each other under and we put ourselves under. We want to get better. Um, and I think that's great to take into my, my legal world as well. You know, every time something doesn't go quite to how you want it to, which happens every weekend, <laughs> um, you think, right, how do I get better? How, how do I, you know, become a, a, almost a perfect referee? We're never going to get perfection, but we're trying to get closer and closer. And that's what we do as a group of referees on a Monday and Tuesday at Twickenham. And I take that into my business life. Now, I, the, the pressure that you're put under, certainly from the crowd, who want you to be the perfect referee, but they want you to be the perfect referee for their team. That's the significant thing, isn't it? You are renowned for having an excellent rapport with the players on the field. Um, do you enjoy that link between referee and player, being able to share a joke, being able to have a bit of a laugh? I think it's what's special about a game of rugby. You know, you, um, you share a laugh and a joke with them on the field, you have a beer with them afterwards, um, you get to know them as people, not just as players. And, you know, what I'm really lucky about is, I, you know, I pop in and train with some of the uh, same of the Premiership teams and train with the England team to get to know them. And so when you're working out on the pitch, you're trying to make sure that you do the best you can for you, but for, for them and for the game. And that's working in, in tandem with the players. It doesn't always go 
perfectly for you on the field of play. Sometimes we have a good old chuckle at some of the ills that before you. We've got one here where you are... Uh, well, G.J. Van Velzer just decides, let's get him in a ruck. Let's see what it's like first, first hand. Yeah, but what you'll see, I get straight up and, and Sim being a Worcester player after this. <laughs> it's amazing because Worcester never put anyone into the breakdown. That breakdown, about 20 of them all flying. And what about this situation? This is, this is in Europe. Let's, just, let's have a listen here. Let's have a listen. just to make sure. Um, gotta be very careful. If I'm standing in your way, please just ask me to move. Okay? It's a penalty against you, but you've got to be... Okay. I mean, that was Victor Korosvili uh, playing for Claremont against Ospreys in Europe. What was going through your mind when you got given the most almighty shove? It's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? You know, I gave the player the benefit of the doubt on the day. I thought I wasn't quite sure if he just wanted me to move or if he was just, you know, literally just shoving me for the sake of shoving me. So, as I said to him, look, if you want me to move, tell me to get out of the way. You know, subsequently he got 14-week bans, so not many people agreed with me on that decision. Um, but I don't want to be the centre of attention during a game. And on, on that day, it was one of those where I thought, look, I come into the spotlight here. I've got to make a decision. I can even make a decision which sends off a player and probably loses uh, Claremont on the game, or I can make um, the best decision with the information that I had. And I just thought, well, look, I'm going to give this player the benefit of the doubt on that day, and that's what I said to him. What do you think about the 14-week ban, then? Oh, look, that's for someone else to decide. But it's can't like... you go in and say, I didn't think it was that bad? Look, I write my report. I wrote what I said on the day, and I, yeah. I said, you know, I said to him, if you want me to get out of the way, tell me to get out of the way. It's then for other people. It's a bit like being a, you know, a lawyer again, isn't it? You know, you make your judgment as a, as a lawyer, you put your case forward, and then it's for the jury to decide. And quite often in my career, they've not always agreed with me. It's first versus second at Alliance Park this weekend, but the first time in a long time. It wasn't Saracens who topped the table. That honour belonged to Rob Baxter's Exeter Chiefs, underlining their title credentials. But Saracens welcome back their Six Nations stars. There's a mention, of course, of three players, Alex Good, Chris Wiles and Neil de Kock. Alex Good and Chris Wiles notching up their 200th appearances for Saracens. Neil de Kock, 250. But it was the younger players, Austin, who really, really caught the eye. Saracens had been struggling during the Six Nations with a host of players away on international duty. They bring them back. It doesn't always fit that they're going to be up and running straight away. But for Saracens on that day, they certainly were. Yeah, we saw a real contrast, actually, across the whole league. Mike Brown coming back, not really hitting his strap straight away, whereas the slammers from Saris, a lot, few people calling it the Saracens slam, they came back and really performed. Farrell, I thought, was absolutely superb in the game. He's really developed as a player over the last 12 months. Uh, he's become a lot more mobile, a lot more direct with his running, runs back against the line, picks really good lines. He's already cleared out in the rook, gets back to the ball, changes direction, distributes, and he's looking like, well, for me, the best player in the league at the minute. Um, ben will argue a forward's better with Itoji and Cruz, who came back and played fantastically, but also Billy Vanapola. Every time he carries now, he makes the game line, he takes three or four defenders to bring him down. He gets in behind and he puts Saracens on the front foot. So those guys returning. Duncan Taylor as well on the wing. They, they're looking like the side to beat. It's going to be hard to see anyone. Maybe Wasps. Ben, I chatted with, with Paul Gustard after the game and he was saying what he wants to see and what he's seeing is England players coming back from inter international duty. Better it's what, players. It's what they've missed and Billy is just is in that rich vein of confidence that possibly comes from being in the England environment with Eddie Jones. He's definitely got the better, best out of him. But actually, uh, Brits as well. I, 
I've got to say, we're all going to talk about the England players, but Brits was unbelievable and set up most of their tries with his footwork and his offloading. But Billy, Mako as well, coming back in. It's what Saracens have missed, that ability. We saw it with one of their tries. They went off the back of the line out. They hit up uh, Mako, they hit up Billy, and they end up scoring off the next phase because Exeter were going backwards. Honestly, sometimes as the referee, you're, you're obviously keeping an eye on the game, but do you just sort of sit back a little bit and think, wow, this team is absolutely on fire. Can you sit back and enjoy the performance that the team's putting on? No, all the time, all the time. You've seen great pieces of skill. Um, and back to that point about the, the training as well, being in with um, England, uh, this Six Nations, just to see them playing and training with a smile on the face. And as you said, going back, um, that Saracens performance was pretty special to watch um, from the armchair. It was. But Austin, it wasn't as though Exeter were bad. I mean, they, they did, probably didn't handle the conditions as well as they might have done. But they're yeah. still very strong. They're still going to be a top four, I would imagine. Yeah, it's always a tendency, isn't it, if you're a half-back, a nine or a ten, Lewis and Steens, and you've got the wind at your back to at every occasion, use it and gain territory from it. They didn't do that intelligently. They didn't push the extra side forward, and they just gave up possession willy-nilly, and Saracens run it back. Uh, and then they went to their main playmaker, their most elite athlete in Thomas Waldrum. <laughs> um, you know, the guy is exactly what you want to look like when you're a little bit older. And uh, he's so hard to stop from five metres. His body position, the way he gets his feet a long way back, from his shoulders. He's such a wide frame, so you can't target the ball too much. And uh, he just knocks uh, people off to cock there with an ineffective tackle. We'll be interesting to see where these two end up. We've got, uh, they've got some interesting games coming up. If you had to pick who's going to finish top here and where Exeter are going to finish, Ben, you might think they'd finish top. What do you think between these two? I, I, think, the, I think Saracens will have the ability and the control uh, with their different styles of play. They're able to slow the game down and kick to the corner. I think they'll, they'll probably finish top. Um, I might be proven wrong. Exeter and Wasps, that's, that's a, you know, a, a big situation. They've got to play each other yet, so the winners of that will probably decide who, who moves up the, the rankings and then it's all to play for in the, for the fourth spot with a number of teams that can get in there. Well, the teams at the bottom of the table would have probably wished that they had those problems to worry about. Sarah, what is happening at the foot of the Aviva Premiership? Yeah, let's see what happened in the relegation zone then, as you said, at foot of the table. And on Easter Saturday, London Irish travelled to six ways in search of vital premiership points and to build upon that win over Gloucester last weekend, of course, their opponents. Worcester were chasing a fourth straight premiership win. Well, Jensen, it was never going to be a tri-fest, was it, given where these two are in the league at the moment? But it was pretty evenly matched, but you kind of get the feeling, Oz, that London Irish would be kicking themselves, really. It was a missed opportunity. Well, it could have been a tri-fest if people could catch. <laughs> uh, you know, those two blatant two-on-ones, and uh, they were absolutely kicking themselves. Ben, are you surprised that they're playing that, that kind of rugby, given where they are? And they had so many opportunities to kick for the post. Yeah, they, they did. I mean, the kicking percentages have been down this year, and, and a lot of the kicks were wider out. They kept going for the corner, but they, they weren't accurate with their kicks to the corner. They didn't get to the five-metre line. They were 10, 15 metres out, and it's much more difficult. They'd had real success with their driving line out the week before. Worcester knew that. They sent one man in to tackle it. You can't do that five metres out. So maybe a little bit naive. And uh, once you do it a few times, it's sort of, well, when do we go for the post? And as we heard in the commentary there, 69th minute might have been a bit late. Yeah. OK, let's have a look at the remaining fixtures then for, for Worcester, London Irish and Newcastle. And I think we can safely say now, can't we, that, that Worcester are safe. They've got a 16-point lead. But looking at that... Would you agree with me saying that London Irish have probably got the more favourable running compared to that of Newcastle? No, because pressure really amounts to a lot more depending on who you're playing against and how many points you've got on the table. So that makes this weekend against Sale, I think, make or break. 
If they don't win this weekend, I can see Newcastle getting a bonus point, and then that's five points in between them and Newcastle. They have to go to Newcastle, and it could go either way. So I think it's this this weekend against Sale ultimately will decide the season. I and think. then a huge game, of course, against Newcastle, which is almost whoever referees that game. That's as much pressure on him as it is on the players out there, isn't it? Really? They're massive games, those relegation games, and and you know, you know, one penalty decision can affect that match. You're trying to be as accurate as you can and not take any risks from a refereeing point of view as well. Um, there'll be a cracking atmosphere up at Newcastle that weekend. Though. Wayne, we've got yeah. some questions for you on Twitter. I'm sure you love Twitter. Are you on Twitter? Yeah, all the time, Oz. Have you, have you got a Twitter handle? Uh, no, but there's a fake one. There's a fake Wayne Barnes out there, and I can guarantee you it's not me. And do you agree with referees being on Twitter? Oh, look, it's each individual, isn't it? It's not well, for me. Well, Dodge, listen, uh, you, forward back. Uh, I don't want any more <laughs> with these questions. OK, who is the, uh, one of the only refs to let play go on while he consults the TMO? Does over-reliance on the TMO slow the game too much? What do you reckon? I think we need to get the big decisions right. That means using the TMO, let's use it, but let's not use it too often if we can do it either in our ear or we can just make the decisions ourselves, but it's there to get the massive decisions right. End of Premiership final two years ago wasn't a bigger decision, was it, than, than that, um, that decision. So that's what it's there for. Let's get the big ones right. Yeah, and you got that one wrong. Uh, OK, <laughs> let's move on. Uh, this is from Giles. Uh, how do you decide who to penalise or why only reset collapse scrums or play on at a collapse scrums are a lottery? What do you think? Well, as you know, we probably listen a lot to scrum halves who are talking to us at the scrums, but we do a lot of work behind the scenes. You know, Ben was in with us, as I said, uh, last Monday, last Tuesday. I spent a lot of time with a guy called Phil Keith Roach, ex-England scrum yeah. coach. You would have worked with him, trying to understand, you know, what goes on in, in the scrum. And so when something collapses, when the scrum stands up, when it wheels, I use all that experience of Roachy to try and get the best decision right. We don't always get it right but we try to um, get it as, as close to as we can. And just very quickly, yes or no, have you ever penalised a player because you didn't like him? Uh, would I have ever done that to you, Austin? Yes, you did. I remember that. Sorry, <laughs> penalised me and it wasn't even my fault. <laughs> now, as the game has grown and players have got fitter and faster and the prize for winning and the cost of failure have become more pronounced, referees have had to keep up both mentally and physically. And that's before you had endless law changes. Ben Kay met up with Wayne and all the Aviva Premiership referees at Twickenham last Monday for their weekly training and review session. Well, very occasionally on BT Sport, we have been known to give the referees a little bit of stick. So I thought I'd come here to Twickenham to one of their get-togethers and find out a little bit more about what they do. First stop, a little bit of fitness. <laughs> we'll stick Baywatch music in after. How important is fitness to you guys and why is it so important? It's hugely important, um, especially, you know, a lot of our performance reviews are based around accuracy of decisions and, and state of mind when we're making decisions. And the only way we can improve that really is by ensuring that we're, that we're fit enough and overly fit for games. Often on a Monday and Tuesday out here, we'll be working harder than we, than we do physically in a match. It's really important that we work to that high intensity, so we're used to it. And then when we, on a match day, we hopefully give ourselves the best opportunity to get the right decisions. When you're moving well, when you feel fit, when you feel good about yourself, you make better decisions because you're not bogged down with anything. I thought that Narraway in the green hat was a tackler and that Cowan was an assist tackler because he stays on his feet. If he stays on his feet as an assist tackler, he's offside. But if you look at it, he's probably thrown to the ground by Cowan and Narraway's probably not a tackler. So on review, we're looking at play on there for, for Blair Cowan there, that he's not offside. You know, the players 
you might have the nines training together and then one of them gets the nod at the weekend for mm. the big game. Is it, yeah. is it the same with the referees? Yeah, that you yeah, have to manage definitely. That a bit? Yeah, definitely. I mean, everyone wants everyone to be successful and do well. But you're right, it's a really strange thing in a way because there's only one person that can be out there for the, for the Premiership final mm. and all of them want it, which is great because you've got that competitiveness. What I'm trying to create here is that we're the 13th team in the Premiership. Yeah. It's really important to that team ethos, you know, and to build that culture where we support referees. So, hence the reason why after every Premiership match, we'll be in here on a Monday and Tuesday, making the one-to-one -one reviews. It's not an easy place. They challenge each other to see how they performed and to also to open up the transparency and openness about them when they've made the mistakes. Say, so, yeah, done that, got that wrong. There was a huge amount of good stuff from the, the team of match officials, but... Uh... We came a little bit undone in, in, a, in a block of six minutes with uh, Exeter uh, attacking in the, in the top top right-hand corner where, to, to be honest, the, the, the whole team of officials could have, could have played a part to sort of help us get out of a tricky situation. Um, and we, we piled one, one, uh, one error on top of, of, top of another one. The guys now come in with an openness and freedom. They, look, look. It's about recognising they made a mistake and how we can we as a group not let that mistake happen again. OK, thanks so much. Off you go. Now you can see more of that on Rugby Tonight Extra on Thursday at 7.30pm, BT Sport 1, where we'll also be reporting from Leicester and Saracens. Ben, uh, a long day spent with the referees. Was it a very surprise? Long. <laughs> very long. <laughs> Was it a surprise? Was um, what you were expecting? No, a bit of both, really. One of the things that surprised me was actually when they sat on their one-on-one -on -one assessments. I went with uh, JP, and he sat there, and I was thinking the assessor would be saying, why didn't you give a penalty there? Why didn't you give that decision? He was actually doing the opposite and saying, could you have let the game flow? And certainly, talking to the guys and spreaders, that's where they're erring to. Now, can they get the, the game to flow more? Can they get the ball out of the scrum, even if it's collapsed? Um, so that was good. The other area that, are, that was interesting, speaking to spreaders about where he thinks he can take it and actually potentially getting more professional referees, maybe working with the ARs so they can keep them together as a team and actually make, make sure that they know each other's strengths and weaknesses week in, week out. So they're certainly thinking, I mean, it's never going to be perfect in the minds of the fans, the players, the coaches, but they're certainly doing what they can to, to try and improve it. You talked earlier about trying to be the best, the perfect referee and do everything the best you possibly can. How important are those Monday sessions for you referees? I think it's, it's a great opportunity for the guys coming through now. I'm the, I'm the oldest. Small is retiring this year, so I'm going to be the oldest um, next year. But for the young guys, what they're getting is six games experience um, straight away on a Monday afternoon or, to, or tomorrow um, because of the bank holiday. So they'll be sitting down and they'll be learning from all the other referees' mistakes on that weekend. So we don't make those mistakes week, um, weekend, week out. And we share those ideas. And so someone will say, have you, have you tried that this week, Barnsley? Or have you looked at that? And so I'm getting fresh ideas from the other eight professional referees, from the likes of Tony Sprebury, from Brian Camps or Chris White, ex-international referees. So I'm immersing myself in as much information as I can. So come this weekend, hopefully don't make those mistakes again. Shall we talk Sale Leicester then? Because there's a fair bit of drama. I'm not just talking about the weather. Um, we want to get your opinion on a couple of things. Um, let's start with uh, the Tommy Taylor yellow. Okay, so why wasn't that a penalty try, given, given that it was his actions that, that stopped the try? Yeah, so there's a, there's a few things that we'd look at here. Um, how, far the, how far they've travelled that mall. So they've come a fair distance. Is that ball in a good position, a secure position at the back of that mall, which it looks like it is? 
Um, Tom's got a great call from the, the assistant referee. There's a side entry there. Um, and Tom's probably lost sight of the ball. That's probably the one that he didn't tick. He couldn't tell where the ball was from his side. It's coming from the sideline, so he hasn't got all the information. The question you've got to ask is, you know, but for Tommy Taylor coming in at the side where a try had probably been scored, um, and the footage probably says it does. So we'll look at that tomorrow as a group, and we'll say, you know, do we think that's a penalty try, do we not? Um, and we'll feed that back to Leicester, and they'll find out um, what our view is. And You've look, got some if, kind of penance there if you get it wrong, like a sponge around the table <laughs> or something, or, uh, you know, an, an orange. The old, uh, the, the, I hat. Yeah, the hat of the day, you <laughs> yeah. know, with something on the front of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no, there'll be, there'll be some extra training. Uh, is there a bit of banter, though, between oh, the refs when you oh, sit around? Of course there is. At the end of the season, we have a, an award for the worst decision of the year Do award. You really? and, yeah. Have you ever won that? <laughs> oh, don't, don't be silly. Don't be silly. <laughs> Okay, so time now to meet the top-ranked wheelchair rugby team in Europe, also ranked fifth in the world. Please welcome the GB wheelchair rugby team. Now, we all think England rugby team are doing pretty well at the moment, but you guys are tearing it up on the European and the world scene. Um, ranked first in Europe, am I right? Yep, correct. Fifth in the world rankings, and the last few months have been pretty successful for you too, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. We've, uh, we've got a big year ahead of us, and uh, I think we've... Uh, We've exceeded our targets going up into September into Rio, and uh, hopefully, might the uh, might the form continue? Definitely. Now, Chris, talk to us a little bit about the the classifications because there are different groups of, of classifications, aren't there, within yes. sport? Yeah. So there's seven different classifications, ranging from 0.5 up to 3.5, with 0.5 being the most severely disabled and 3.5 being the most functional. Uh, I'm a a 0.5 player will struggle to lift their hand up. Okay. Uh, I'm a two-point player, so I can do that. Uh, I've got strength in my arms. And we have a three-point player here in gym. He's got uh, more trunk manoeuvrability. Now, there's a tactic that there, there's a limit to the numbers that you can have on the court at the same time. Ayers, just give us an idea of, uh, of how you piece together your four players on the court. Yeah, um, every player has their own individual class. So those four players on the court have to add up to eight points. So you can have um, any combination you want adding up to eight points. So three, two, two, one. And it doesn't always follow that, that you put your maximum eight points on there, does it? You, 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 yeah. Depending on who you're up against, you try and mix and match it. Yeah, uh, it depends what lineup you use against certain teams. Uh, certain lineups work against certain yeah. teams, so you have to mix and match. Um, it's all rolling subs, so you can. And Jim, what are the competitions that are coming up? Obviously, Rio is looming large, but what else is on the, on the calendar for you yeah, guys? Yeah, Rio's the big one for us. I mean, we've got a couple uh, tournaments coming up. Um, the closest one, I guess, is in Leicester in a couple of weeks' time. We've got um, Sweden and Canada coming over to play against us in a six-game series, so that should be quite good. Con, why wheelchair rugby? Because you were chatting a little bit earlier on, and you played a lot of wheelchair basketball, so why make the switch? Uh, for me personally, uh, wheelchair rugby and basketball is not really much difference. I play the same role in both sports, which is defensive player. It's the physicality, isn't it? We're watching you guys kind of practice. Oh, it's, it's crazy, oh, it's Chris. I mean, this is a sport that used to be called murder ball, <laughs> so that gives us an idea of, uh, of what it's all about. Um, and is it that physicality that, that appeals to people, not just who are playing it now, but but that want to uh, want to get into this sport? Yeah, it has such a range, you know, it's, uh, the physicality is a massive thing for some people um, and then the technical side is also massive as well. It's so, so many intricate things to try and learn and 
to get ha to get a hang of as well as the physicality. Now, you are going to be having a, a little game in a minute, hence why Austin is in a chair. And can we just say, we wanted Austin to wear a bib, yeah. didn't we, early on? He refused to wear a red bib, but he's more than happy to wear a skin-tight vest. <laughs> Am I right? Oh, you've got your guns out as well, have you? I love what it. about, Adam, what about people who want to get into to wheelchair rugby? Uh, young kids or people who are recently disabled and decided they want to try and take up the sport? How do they get into it? Uh, well, Great Britain Wheelchair Rugby, uh, probably the best place to go is the website, gbwr.com.co.uk. Uh, I think um, since London 2012, we've seen a massive increase up from seven teams to, I believe, 21, 22. Uh, we've now got a youth programme, we've got a military programme. So since uh, 2012, it's grown anyway. But I think if you Google wheelchair rugby or murder ball, you can get attached to one of the clubs around the country and um, they're more than welcome. We have a lot of training sessions where guys come in, we've got chairs prepared for them, we've got members of staff which will help. Some people are a little bit afraid, looks a bit um, offensive and a bit rough at first, but um, you know, once you get up and rolling, it's a fantastic sport and you, you do get hooked. Yeah, we've really enjoyed watching you guys practice here today. And um, obviously the Paralympics are coming about, as you, as you mentioned a little earlier on. So, how, how do you guys prepare in the run-up to that? Because you obviously play tournaments and competitions. You have to kind of keep your cards quite close to your chest in terms of, you know, other teams watching you and, and watching what you do. How does it work, Chris? Uh, yeah, it's a, a little bit like you said, really. You know, we have to practice a certain amount of things, but then, you know, it's always good to have an ace up your sleeve for, you know, the special moments that you need them. Um, but it's, you do also need to practice those against the top teams, so it's a balancing act, really, for the coaches. Now, we've got a lot of rugby coming up this weekend. On Friday, we're down at the wreck. Bath against Saracens. Bath recovering from a dismal start to their season. Leicester against Gloucester. That is on Saturday from 3 o'clock on BT Sport 1. And then it's Wasps against Northampton from the Rico. 2.45, BT Sport 1. Join us then. <laughs> yeah, thanks, everybody. Rugby tonight will be back next week. And join us here in the, in the audience. If you fancy it, get in touch with us. Audience at rugbytonight.com. Great in. stuff. Thank you to Wayne Barnes. Outstanding. Thank you very much. Thank you to Matt. And of course, to the Great Britain rugby team, we wish you all the very, very best. Let's just get rid of him. Have a fantastic Easter. Thank you to our audience. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Tonight podcast. We'll be back next week. See you then. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 